I'm very happy to walk away from business when I find somebody doesn't have the right perspective or the right expectations. That's something very important also. Not every customer, just because they have a checkbook and a pulse, is a good customer. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Paul Barron, founder and CEO of The Wall Printer USA. Paul's responsible for all executive functions, assuring the growth of the corporation and of the businesses that purchase a wall printer. His decades of business experience span B2B, B2C, retail, manufacturing, distribution, international business, and franchising. Paul has personally developed and launched business concepts and supported successful revenue growth, which leads to exits for several startups and established businesses. An articulate communicator with outstanding public speaking and presentation skills, Paul's frequently asked to guest lecture at industry events. He's a mentor to business owners and student interns at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and at UNCW's Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Paul serves on advisory boards at UNCW's Business School's Entrepreneurship Track, at nonprofit organizations, and privately held businesses in Wilmington, Atlanta, and New York. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Carol. That Paul sounds like a great guy. You he should have does sound on. like a great guy. Well, you can tell you us more about him. should have had him on instead of me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you paid me very well to say all those nice things for you, right? Um, so, you know, Paul, when we first talked, uh, I, you know, I, I said to you, it occurs, it, it, you know, in looking at your company, it occurred to me as it might be a franchise and you stopped me right in my tracks and says, and said to me, no, it's not. So describe how the wall printer works and so that people understand that, that you are not a franchise. <laughs> well, what- it's, I, I guess uh, I'm happy to answer that question and I will. But of course, the, uh, the first question that you didn't ask um, that most people will want to know will be, well, what is a wall printer? Um, it, it is a, a, a machine, uh, a commercial printing machine that is designed to reproduce digital images of art, meaning that uh, you take a picture with your phone, it'll only enlarge up to a certain point. You need what's called a vector image, which is a graphically digitally designed image um, in the tools of the trade of the graphics artist, like Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator, um, kind of graphics design programs. And then you get a vector image and it'll enlarge to any size you want. Mm-hmm. Our printers will print a, a picture that you can take on your phone and print that onto a wall. but if you want a large mural, you need what's called a vector image. And our printers will accept those types of formats and print any image um, on any wall surface, indoors or outdoors. So it's designed for the muralist. It's designed for the uh, for interior decorators, for painters, um, for startups, uh, anybody who wants to add art to walls. And it could also be used for signage. You don't even have to print directly to a wall. You could print on a uh, a piece of material, like in my office here, if you've got video for mm-hmm. your audience, 
Um, there's a picture of my friends, which I took with a phone over my head, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got a picture. That's actually a two-dimensional picture. Some people don't realize that, um, but that's on canvas. I took that picture of my friends. We got together last year. Um, I found a picture of a frame, put that around the picture, and then the wall printer printed it on canvas, and I gave that to them for Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. Um, next to it is a picture of my dog with Santa Claus. That's printed on paper because my wife won't let me print directly to the walls here in my home office. Um, but uh, this is a business opportunity for people, plain and simple. It could be the startups, half of our customers, and we have over 120 customers in the first three years we've been in business. And these customers will fall into two basic buckets. There'll be people who want a startup opportunity. They see an innovative device. They might be into the arts. They might be uh, into technology. Um, then the other half of our customers are people who have what I call a business of adjacency. They might already have a painting business, interior design. Uh, They might be muralists. They might uh, be signage people. They might be um, interior decorators or construction. So this is an uh, adjunct to their their already running business. Correct. Mm -hmm. So this can be an add-on to leverage their existing customers that they have if they're a a standalone business already. Now, all of that um, requires a certain business model. And the, our business model is to provide exclusivity to people, mainly because this is a very new, very innovative technology. It's not like 20 hamburger places or coffee shops or plumbers or electricians. Um, this isn't anything that people have seen before. Um, so while I went out on a limb and took a risk as an entrepreneur to see this as something that could really provide a valuable service in a market that doesn't have too many ways to put art on walls, um, I found this to be just a a really innovative, um, useful machine. And I thought, if I thought so, maybe somebody else might. And so I created the business and business model to allow people to be the, if they want to raise their hand and are willing to take the risk on investing thirty dollars to $50,000, the machines cost $30,000. But as most people know, there's more involved in a Mm -hmm. business than just the car, the machine, you've got to feed yourself, you've got to, you know, there are other business expenses, there's insurance, there's wages, whatever. And so to be successful with this business, we wanted to reward the people who raised their hands and said, I'd like to do that. And I want to be the only one in my area to do that. Now, at that point, it may sound like a franchise where you get an exclusive territory. The difference between what we do, and we intentionally made this a business opportunity for people, not a franchise, because we don't dictate what you call right. yourself. You're, a, you're your own business. You create your own marketing, your own branding. We actually customize the wall printing machines with people's logo for their business, their email address, their phone number, their website. We don't do marketing for you. You, you have to do your own marketing again because some businesses already exist and have customers. Some are startups and want to um, develop a market themselves. We support them in those efforts, but we don't dictate anything for them to do that. And most important, we don't share in their revenue. These are independent businesses. All franchises have some type of royalties they take from you for being, let's say, a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's or a Mr. Plumber. We don't do that. I'm not, we do charge for that exclusivity on top of the cost for the printer. But at the same time, what we do is we allow our customers to recover those costs because we discount the printers. So a $30,000 printer, which is if somebody just wants the printer, they can buy one. Of course, a lot of companies do have their own customers. They don't care about owning a territory. They just want to service their existing customers. So we give them that option to just buy a printer and use it the way they want. 
But if somebody wants to buy a territory and be the only ones we sell printers to, which limits us in that territory then from getting more business, we discount the machine $5,000 to $25,000, but we charge a territory fee of $10,000. And they we obligate that company to grow, expand, hire more people, buy more wall printers. And when they buy their second machine, they get another $5,000 discount. And now they've recovered their territory fee. They're not just paying $250,000 to call themselves Dunkin' Donuts or to call themselves the wall printer. We don't see a value in our name like these other companies rightfully have produced over time. There's the difference. Got it. So you founded the company in late 2019. Uh, you have a history uh, as a founder. And, and as I mentioned in, in uh, your, the introduction, you've also you know, been in the franchise industry. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, about your journey to where you are today, you know, kind of how, you know, how you became an entrepreneur, what the, what the attraction was and so on. Well, uh, Carol, I won't bore your audience with Paul was born at a very young age yeah, and go you. through all 71, all 71 years here. Um, but suffice to say, um, I, I usually wake up wondering what's Paul going to do when he grows up. Um, and, and by that, I mean, um, you have to be passionate about what you do. You know, there's the old saying, it, it may seem trite, but you know, you, you, if you enjoy what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. Right. Um, I've always believed that. I grew up with a very nice middle-class upbringing. My parents, wonderful, gave me um, whatever I needed, um, put me through college. Um, I, I never really lacked for anything. We weren't wealthy by any means, but at the same time, we weren't lacking in anything growing up. But my parents, they worked for the same company, whether it be civil service or a, a one particular company that my dad worked for from, from the time he finished with World War II to the time he, he retired. Um, you know, he worked for 50 years, um, all for the same type of company, type of business. My mother similarly. Um, and they, they kind of led me to that path. But it was never for me. Um, for whatever reason, I, I always um, drifted to what I was passionate about at a particular time. Um, I tried other things more stable. My first job out of college was a high school teacher. Um, but at the same time, I put myself through college supplementing the good graces of my parents' financial support by stringing tennis rackets for the athletic department. And I, I got a very large following um, who appreciated the quality of the work I did. And when I graduated college, while I took a teaching job as what I thought was going to be my profession, like my parents, being in the same thing for many, many years to come, um, what happened was um, I opened up a tennis shop, a right. retail shop. Mm -hmm. And I did that with a friend. And it actually grew to a second and then a third store. And it became a successful retail venture. And I got caught up in the world of business, um, retail business at the time. My role, I really enjoyed not only the customer interactions, but even more so vendors um, and strategic relationships with, uh, with different um, businesses um, that we supported uh, with, with, uh, with our um, products and the services we provided um, in the sporting goods kind of realm. Um, and so... That was kind of the foundation very early on in my career, which actually is the beginning of my career, that led me then to reach a point where I kind of took it as far as I could take it. That business, after a couple of years, I sold to my partner, and I then went to work for another company to learn about something else, about manufacturing and distribution and things like that. Um, because they, they, it was a family business, the one that actually my mother worked for for 30 years, and he asked me to come on board with him. 
and uh, to take on a role of a, of an office and a sales manager. And so I learned different aspects. But once again, after two or three years, I took that as far as I, I could do without getting a little bit restless. And I wanted a little bit more independence. And so I went out and I became an independent sales rep for actually a competitor of his. Um, and it gave me more flexible time um, to grow. And a friend of mine, again, partnership opportunity, friend of mine was in the restaurant food service business, wanted to open up a restaurant. I knew nothing about restaurants. Um, many people foolishly think that um, just because they eat out, they know that business. Um, not true. <laughs> and I was smart enough to say that, no, I, while I thought the business was interesting, my partner was the food guy, so right. to speak. I was there for the real estate investment of a building we were going to talk about. We talked about purchasing. So I ended up doing that. And I did that for 12 years. Um, it was a restaurant in New York that actually I'm very proud to say I founded in 1979. And now 44 years later, that restaurant is still open today. Um, I sold it in 1990 after 12 years to my partner um, because once again, I moved on. I was looking for something else. Um, but the restaurant is still open today. Um, I, I really am uh, honored by that. Um, it's gone through several owners, but it's still the same menu we created 44 years ago. Um, but I took that 12 years of success, moved to Florida because I wanted to play tennis and moved to Florida. And then I, I began um, uh, in Florida, I, I began uh, another restaurant. And what I made in 12 years in New York, I lost in a year in Florida. So it was, it was not a trajectory by any means uh, in terms of my financial success from those college days to where I am today. There were peaks, there were valleys, um, but I always, I always ended up working for somebody to learn something than trying to do something on my own because I wanted more control over my financial and personal destiny. But the common thread throughout my entire life has been the relationships I've formed. And I believe that's the most important thing for anybody to consider. Um, you know, again, trite phrases, um, be nice to the people on the way up. They're the same people you're going to see on the way down. Um, it's important to nurture relationships because you never know when they're, when you can be a trusted resource to somebody or somebody can be a trusted resource to you. And that's not necessarily to point you in the direction of what should I do when I grow up mm -hmm. with my life, with my career, but they might help you with some guidance. They might lift you up when your confidence is down. Uh, they might uh, support you financially when you're not able to. Um, so relationships are really what my whole career has been about. And I did develop over the past 30 years, again, because we're talking 70 years, so I'm giving you the synopsis here. So in the past 30 years, I developed a kind of a calling. Um, I don't know if a calling is the right word. Um, I developed a, a level of proficiency in helping companies that were outside the United States who wanted to find their customers here in the U.S., Canadian, South American markets. They wanted a, European companies, Russian companies, Chinese companies. They had products that they wanted to find their high value customers or partnerships here in the United States. And I did work for a company and then became, made that very successful. And I was in turn referred to somebody else. And so for the past 30 years, I've been doing that. Um, but again, as a hired gun. Um, and where I didn't have a lot of control over some of the aspects of these products when I, when I saw some deficiency or some improvements that could be made. It wasn't my company or my product mm -hmm. to do. So I did well financially. I retired uh, mm -hmm. four years ago. I was sitting in my home office where I am right now, and I would yell to my wife uh, typically, say, hey, honey, <laughs> come take a look at this. 
Well, rather than come look at what I'm talking about, she usually cuts up my credit cards and hides my bank account from me because she goes, here we go again. Paul's going to invest in something crazy. Um, this time she was all in. She saw this vertical printing machine, which was actually introduced to me by what is now a competitor of mine mm. that we've pretty much blown out of the water over the past three years uh, with the success of my company now. But it was a German company that had a very innovative product, which I had never seen or heard about before. This vertical printing machine mm -hmm. that printed digital art images onto walls. And I was fascinated by it. Uh, I could not make a deal with them because once again, they wanted me to be a hired gun, mm -hmm. uh, a commissioned salesperson. I tried to buy the company, but I couldn't. Um, and so um, I did my homework and mm -hmm. I said, I really love this product. Who else is doing this? Because I've never seen it before. And sure enough, because of the support it needed and the training and the inks and the supplies, none of the three, there are only a handful, literally five companies in the world that make this type of machine and only two of any quality. The German company that approached me mm -hmm. and one Chinese company that was actually the originator of the technology, 15 years mm -hmm. in, the, in the making. Um, they, had, they had 10 years over the German company and a lot more features that the German product did not have. And at a price point that was half the price and no disrespect to anybody in your audience that might have German heritage. Um, I drive a BMW. I cook with Henkel knives. I value a well-engineered product, mm -hmm. but just because something says made in Germany, I don't take it at face value that it should be worth twice that something else might be of comparable features and benefits. Mm -hmm. And so that was the case here. So I made a deal with the Chinese manufacturer that I chose as um, the, the real innovator of this technology. Um, and I worked out a deal where I actually co-own three patents. We've, I'm a co-inventor of three patents with this company. Um, and uh, which speaks not necessarily, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back there. It speaks to the relationship with the Chinese manufacturer because it's not common for an American uh, company to co-own patents with a Chinese manufacturer. Um, but it mm -hmm. speaks to the strength of the relationship I have with them where we're actually designing and improving on the products. And we've been very successful mm -hmm. in the three years since COVID started, which is when we opened this business, which might have not made me the smartest tack in the pack, um, opening uh, a business with a product that nobody has ever seen or heard about before at a time when nobody could travel to see it or kick the tires, so to speak. But that's what I did. And while everybody was being laid off and working remotely and trying to rethink their lives, I kind of took advantage of that and built up a team to support the product and the business opportunity that we created here and began through social media articulating exactly what the wall printer does, who it benefits, what it's for, how much money can you make do using this as a core of your business or an add-on to an existing similar business. And uh, we have 120 customers now. Uh, we put the customers in business from Canada, the United States, South America, Mexico, Puerto Rico. Um, it's going very well. I, I sleep very well at night than knowing that my customers are successful. And uh, that brings you up to date. Okay. So um, it, you mentioned the company who introduced you to this is this German outfit that became a competitor that you've pretty much blown out of the water. What is it that you have done uh, for your business that's had this happen? Well, the most important thing which is the reason I entered into this business, is that nobody was here in the United States doing it. Mm -hmm. And we are still, after three years, the only company Got it. that has a presence in the United States that provides training, support, parts for right. our customers. Okay. And since then, we've actually 
become a manufacturer of inks for our printers. Mm -hmm. And any printing machine must have the proper inks in it formulated for its technology and its print heads Mm -hmm. where the ink flows through to actually create the images, whether it be on paper on your desktop printer that's cost you $100 or a $150,000 flatbed printer that signage company uses Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or our $30,000 printer or the German printer. You have to have inks that work in that printer and we manufacture them to our specifications so they're always available for our customers, as is the support and the training, which is probably the most important thing, as well as spare parts should they need that. And so we're located in the United States, servicing Canada, the United States, South America, as I mentioned, and we are the only ones here doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that's our biggest advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, The second biggest advantage, or arguably the biggest advantage, is that our machines are better. Um, Their printer prints at 600 DPI. Anybody in the audience that knows resolution, mm-hmm. our print best, which is good resolution, you can get good quality, near photo quality art from that. Uh, but our printers print at 1440 resolution mm-hmm. by default and mm-hmm. can even print to 2880, mm-hmm. an outstanding re- resolution for printing on a wall. Um, but then it prints much slower. But optimally, right. our printer prints at 1440 DPA. The other biggest technical advantage we offer is our printers, and this is one of our patents, is we print with white ink. And what that means is, Hmm. as opposed to your standard colors, cyan, magenta, yellow, Mm -hmm. and black, that most printers all have, the ability to print with white ink means that you can take an image and print it on a dark wall, black, yellow, blue, green, Mm -hmm. or on glass. And by applying white ink behind the colors of the image, which our technology delivers, those colors really pop out on a Mm -hmm. dark wall or on glass. Mm -hmm. So when you're printing on a picture or the menu of a restaurant, it's not being washed out by transparency on glass or by the bleeding of colors Mm -hmm. of a dark surface behind it. That's a big distinction of all printers over any other printer in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, you, you, you talked a little bit earlier on about the types of people who might be, you know, become, uh, uh, become clients of yours. Um, and, what I want to know is there is there an ideal client for you? So as I mentioned, they fall into those two buckets. Right. Startup entrepreneurs who want to see, they see something innovative, they're willing to take the risk, and they have the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it time, talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. They have the time to do something. They've got the talent, or they will are willing to hire the talent mm-hmm. um, to work these machines, and they have the money to be able to start a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's half half. That's an ingredient for all businesses, but half of the ones that see this as a innovative startup and are willing to take the risk mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. that. Um, so, so that really is, you know, somebody who's, who understands the concept of, of growing a business is an ideal customer to us. Mm-hmm. Somebody who, who, who sees the opportunity, who understands the numbers, um, and, and what they have to do. You know, if they're going to, if they're going to, if they have an existing business and like a painter, for example, that should be an ideal customer for us mm-hmm. to answer your question because they, they go into a home they, or a, an office or a restaurant right. or a school and they paint the walls eggshell white or gray or whatever. Yeah. And they get to know the customer. They get to know who they are. And let's just take the family example. They go in and they paint somebody's home and now they know they've got two children and one of them is into sports and one of them is into um, um, video games and action figures. Um, and so their bedroom might have a m- big mural on it of a sports figure mm-hmm. or a sports team logo, the New York Yankees. Um, I'll be self-serving in that. Um, so so they, they want a Yankees logo on a wall or they want uh, they want a picture of um, 
Power Rangers. Um, I don't have children. Uh, my children are four-legged, so I'm not sure if Power Rangers is still a thing, but let's say that's what they liked. And, uh, and so they, are, they then have something else to sell these people. But if you're going to do that four or five days a week, you're going to make a lot of money. Our, our printers will easily generate a six-figure income for somebody who does this regularly. But if you've got a painting business and you just pull this out of the closet and do it once a month, it's a nice add-on service that may attract customers to mm -hmm. you, but you're not going to make a lot of money doing right. it. So our ideal customer, to answer your question, Carol, is somebody who sees this as a business and wants to apply full-time yep. efforts to the marketing and to the delivery of the services. Mm -hmm. Now, the other side of the coin, companies like signage companies, they use these big, expensive flatbed printers, cost $125,000, $150,000 right. to print photo quality, laser quality artwork. And so they see this as kind of um, a conflict of interest. Uh, they see this as uh, something that um, cannibalizes from their existing customers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not really a true statement, but for the most part, they have not been our ideal customer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, people who are in the signage and printing business. Um, more often than not, we want the somebody. We want the people who are really risk takers, entrepreneurs who see the opportunities beyond and are willing to market mm -hmm. this to all of those types of customers I've described. Got it. So you know, as a leader, you 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 thrive in rapid growth, high energy environments. It's clear that you've got a great deal of energy. Um, you value diverse culture. Um, you know, work hard, have fun, um, and you lead with a good positive attitude, humor, and some humility along with that. Um, along the way, what would you say are some of the mistakes you've made and why? Well, I've always valued good partnerships. I never really liked doing it alone. This business, I actually, well, I have a 10% partner in this business that I took on earlier on because he was in the printing and signage mm -hmm. business. And while he has that business and there's no intersection between them and he's inactive, he had a lot of printing and ink yeah. expertise that I thought would be really valuable. And he was a friend and he was willing to invest something in my business. And so, so that he became a partner. And that's been a very, a very positive relationship mm -hmm. for me. And in the restaurant business, my tennis sporting goods stores and other businesses I've had, I've always really enjoyed partnerships. I've also had in the restaurant experience that I described earlier where I lost um, in one year, everything that I made in 12 years in New York, um, I had partnerships that weren't um, ideal. Um, they had different motivations than I did. Um, I wanted to make a very successful, very high scale, uh, upscale restaurant. And they really just looked at this as some place to bury some money that they had. And they actually didn't care if it made money or lost money. Mm -hmm. um, I've never personally been in that financial situation that I didn't care about losing money. But apparently there are people like that. Um, and so one of our, my mistakes was not only in not really doing the right marketing uh, or the right market discovery for the audience I was looking for in Florida, as opposed to what I had enjoyed in New York, that was one mistake. And then the people that I got in bed with, so to speak, that was also a mistake. Yeah. Um, so while I believe in partnerships, um, it's very important to really understand the motivations of of all parties. Expect and that's the same as expectations of your customers. If I have a customer who wants to see a photo quality um, reproduction of a of a of a beach scene where they could see the eyes on the seagull when they come up within two inches of our our print that comes out of our machines, which are inkjet printers, mm -hmm. that's not going to happen. These are ne what I call near photo quality. You can get real fine detail like you see above me here um, of people and, and text and things like that. 
but still it's designed to be viewed from a distance. It's wall art. Right. Um, and so, if, so if people have those expectations, um, you know, that's a mistake. And I, uh, early on, I sold to a printing and signage company and mm-hmm. I took the machine back because they weren't happy with the speed of the machine because it didn't work like their $150,000 flatbed printer. Mm-hmm. It didn't give the same quality. And so I learned early on, you know, to set expectations. Right. Better qualify. Yeah. And that, and that goes right across mm-hmm. to any business, any service that you provide. That's right. Make sure your expectations align with those of your customers mm-hmm. or your partners. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're in for trouble. There's no question. I mean, we all we all know what happens when you have unmet ex- when one has unmet expectations, right? Just fill in any exactly. sort of negative adjective you want you choose, right? So that's super super important, and you know that goes along with effective communication. How do you typically find your prospects, or do they find you? What's your what's your marketing look like? So yeah, it's a great question, Carol, and that's of course something that anybody needs to understand. Who wants it? Who will benefit by your product? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- what do you have to do to improve it to really cater to the audience you're looking for? Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, I might not have been the smartest kid on the block when I invested heavily mm-hmm. in a product at a time when nobody could actually see it um, and understand what it does. Mm-hmm. So we went to social media. We went to social media for two reasons. Number one, to expose people to vertical printing. Right. What, what is that industry? Yeah. And so with video, um, we showed people what a vertical printing machine does by taking a digital image that you can either take with your phone or create from mm-hmm. an artist um, and take that digital image and then put it in our machine just on a USB stick that sticks in our machine and then print it on a wall. And so through video production and through blasting out videos across YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest and a Facebook and putting it on our website and optimizing our website, we introduced that to people to let them know that this technology exists. Now, the second part is, of course, who wants it? Um, once you know what it does, who wants it and why? And so that's when we started mm-hmm. reaching out and putting a form on for people to inquire and get information. Right. Tell us who you are, where you live, and we'll send you information and we'll arrange a Zoom call just like what we're having now. Um, I know this isn't Zoom, but same kind of a video call where we'll, we'll be able to talk to somebody, show them examples like I see here, maybe invite them to come now that mm-hmm. people are traveling, invite them to come to Wilmington, North Carolina to our warehouse and factory and let them see the machines in action and talk to us um, and see something printed. Um, see that it's a real technology and real machines and we're a real company mm-hmm. um, because, again, this is new. Nobody knows what it's all about. And so we did that through social media. And yeah. we did it at a time when I might, again, not have been the sharpest person around to do something like this when COVID came about that nobody anticipated. Right. But what turned out to be the case was that people were being laid off. People were working remotely. People were, because of that, they were rethinking their own career paths deciding, mm-hmm. do I want to go back to work right. for this company? Do right. I want to work remote? Do I want to start my own business? What do I want to do when I grow up? Same thing I've been asking myself for 70 years. So uh, people, people were doing that a lot in, ni- in 2020. And, uh, and so we, that's when we started our business. So we kind of took advantage of that um, and, and leveraged all of that, those social media placements right. to attract people to learn more about wall printing. And we get today 150 inquiries every single day Fantastic. from all over the Western Hemisphere, which yeah. is our territory. Now, granted, I don't want people to be so impressed by that. Um, you know, it is impressive, but to the point that 
people find this fascinating. When people see that, if, if anybody in your audience wants to go to, and this has not been a pitch for the wall printer, it's more about entrepreneurship and the journey. But if people are interested in, in the wall printer, just go to thewallprinter.com, thewallprinter.com. And in 15 seconds, you'll see a video, you'll get it. You'll see what the machine does. Yeah. But 150 people a day write into us, hey, that's pretty cool. 140 of them find out it's not your $100 desktop printer, but a $30,000 <laughs> commercial printing machine. And they say, well, really cool, but not for me. Yeah. Um, maybe some of those people know somebody, but they themselves mm -hmm. want to have a wall printing. So we don't provide the services. That's what my customers do. But yeah. we take that information and we pass it through to our right. customers to give them those customer inquiries mm -hmm. to provide the services. 10 of those 150 people are people who see this yeah. as a legitimate business, are not scared away with a thirty dollars to $50,000 investment in mm -hmm. something, and we begin to have conversations with them. And after talking to maybe 50 or 100 of those people, one of them decides to buy. Got it. And so it's a numbers game, almost like any other business mm -hmm. and opportunity. Mm -hmm. so, so what is the, I mean, what has someone say, I want to print on a wall rather than, you know, just having a, beautiful piece of art that's framed. A piece of framed art outdoors on a brick or a stucco wall isn't going to happen. Right. All right. So okay. our printers print indoors or outdoors. Okay. So it depends on where you want it and what you want. Okay. Also, if you want something to be six feet high by 20 feet wide, that's that could be wallpaper. It could be a vinyl sticker, but there are some places where that's mm -hmm. frowned upon. Mm -hmm. And financially, if you want to paint something and have an artist paint something, it's going to be not only significantly more expensive, right. deservedly so, because artist time and talent is valuable. Of course. But what we try to do is we're not taking the food off the table of artists. What we're doing is saying, look, you're creating your art, mm -hmm. usually digitally. Very few artists today, except for um, uh, street art, um, very few uh, uh, and graffiti art, mm -hmm. very few artists um, don't use digital tools today to create their art and to improve and to make sure it's it's saying what they want to say in their art. Mm. And so all we're doing is we're taking that digital file and we're we're allowing them to faithfully, quickly, reliably reproduce their art onto somebody's mm. wall while they do what they do best, which is create the art. Um, and so uh, cost wise, much cheaper than hand painting. Sure. About the same as a piece of vinyl sticker. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, you know, I don't know how your audience is, but or you are, but I have my phone here in my hand. Um, I rarely can go ahead and put the screen protector on my phone without getting bubbles on it. Yeah. So right. how these people do a vinyl sticker on a full wall. Yeah. Um, God bless them. They're you know, that's a profession and they deserve to get what right. they get for doing that so that there are no bubbles and the seams mm -hmm, line up mm -hmm. because printing those things can only happen in sheets right. of certain widths, like four foot widths or something. Um, or eight foot widths, we we can print any width. It doesn't matter, and it's seamless. Hmm. So it's uh, you know there, there are differences. Yeah. No, ultimately, yeah. my answer is there's Wendy's and there's McDonald's and there's Burger King and Hardee's. There's 15 different pizza places mm -hmm. right around the corner and Chinese restaurants. What do you like? You mm -hmm. know, it's it's like it's a it's a it's a marketing play sure. and it's a service play. Yeah. It's it's you know if you if you deliver a good product to somebody. And you and your service is good and your price is fair, you're going to do business. And certainly with a wall printer, there's no lacking walls. So again, we have the opportunity to print on walls, indoors, mm -hmm. outdoors, homes, businesses, restaurants, schools, hospitals. 
makes no difference where right, where right. that wall is. We can print on it. Got it. So uh, in the last three and a half years since you started the business, you've grown to about a dozen employees. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy, uh, where you've seen challenges, the types of people that you hire. I've been very fortunate. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that comes from me, but I pay my employees well. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody gets a piece of the action, so to speak. Everybody is, is profit sharing on our Great. business. Mm-hmm. So everybody has a stake in our business growth. That's mm-hmm. the way I've always done it. And I've always been successful building and maintaining mm-hmm. um, talent yeah. um, and keeping them on board. I've had very little turnover in the three years we've been That's doing great. this. The concentration initially, as I mentioned in this dialogue we've been having, uh, the initial um, impetus was and focus was on marketing, making people aware of this mm-hmm. after the marketing and sales team. Um, then when we actually had customers, now we started building up our technical support team, um, learning uh, everything there was to know about the machines, being able to support our customers, right. to train our customers. And that now has taken over as pretty much the largest single segment of our employee base mm-hmm. is our technical and customer support and training teams. Is customer success as part of your support and technology? Yeah, our our sales team and our marketing team both Mm -hmm. share the and our support team all share customer success. Got it. They all have touch points when somebody comes into it and they talk to me or they talk to my sales manager about the uh, the benefits and the Mm -hmm. costs of being in business using a wall printing machine. Then our technical support team takes over to Mm -hmm. show them to demonstrate the machines and provide the features. Mm -hmm. And then we all you know figure out well who your customer is going to be, what's your business today, what do you want it to be with a wall mm-hmm, printer, mm-hmm. and figure out if there's a fit. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy to walk away from business when I find somebody doesn't have the right perspective right. or the yeah. right expectations. Yeah. That's something very important also. I agree. Not every customer, just because they have a checkbook That's and right. a pulse, is a good customer. I, listen, I've had that conversation uh, countless times. Um, you know, people, people, once they decide, somebody decides they want to hire me, I have to really be clear. I want to hire them because I don't need the I don't need the agenda that comes along with a, a, cr- a crappy client. I really don't. No, absolutely. And again, you know, the, the the notion that the customer is always right could not be further yeah, from the truth. I, I agree. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's important because you you want customers to be happy, mm-hmm. and if it's the wrong customer and there's the wrong and the wrong expectations. Right then nobody wins. You're right. You know, you'll never be able to satisfy them. They'll never be satisfied. Right. How do you describe your culture? Um, Cooperative. Everybody wears multiple hats and everybody supports everybody else. Mm -hmm. Nobody says um, this is a nine to five job. Um, If there's a reason why you'd need to come in late, come in later or stay later um, or take time off. Um, I believe in work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't keep score mm-hmm. on people in that regard. Right. Um, uh, everybody is there to help everybody else. If somebody needs something and there's a, if there's some heavy lifting to be done, whether um, actual or metaphorically, um, then everybody chips in. Got it. Are all your employees headquartered in Wilmington? No, I've got um, eight in Wilmington um, that are full time. I've got some interns that are remote. Um, mm-hmm. I try to nurture some talent. We have Good. an intern uh, in another part of North Carolina um, who actually has just been off. She graduates this year mm-hmm. um, and will be offered a full-time position. She was an intern for two years. Great. My first hire was an intern of mine from a prior business um, who takes um, who, who's now in charge of all of my social media and video production. Mm-hmm. He was a, a, a college student at University of North Carolina here in Wilmington. And when mm-hmm. he graduated, I hired him. Um, we have two remote people in South America 
one in Colombia, one in Mexico, mm-hmm. who deal with our Spanish language people. Mm-hmm. I just hired a technical support person from Brazil. Great. Um, who, um, because uh, Portuguese is also one of the languages and one of the markets mm-hmm. we support. So now we satisfy that. Um, and uh, I have a, a webmaster who's worked for me for 10 years in multiple companies who's based in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that about rounds out our 12-man team. Got it. So how, how, uh, what's your day-to-day look like? You know, what do you spend your time doing? Personally, I'm, I'm in the office most days. Um, today is a rare day that I'm not in the office at all. I'm in my home office, but I've been online all day long, uh, either having sales Zoom calls with customers. Out of those 140 that I talked about, 150 <laughs> that contact us every day, mm-hmm. out of those 10, um, a few of those every day want a Zoom call to talk about the machine and everything else. Yep. So most of my activity, along with my sales manager, um, that's that consumes probably 50% of my day every mm-hmm. day. Um, and of course, this is, as I mentioned, for my employees, I like it to be a nine to five job, even right. though they're willing for it not to be when the occasion calls mm-hmm. for it. But for me, I'm the risk taker. This is my baby. Um, I'm communicating with our China manufacturer, with people, uh, my Pakistani um, webmaster, mm-hmm. um, always making improvements, additions, doing mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So um, my job is 24 seven. Um, and, uh, and drives my wife crazy when she sees me on, on, uh, doing some texting at two in the morning to China. Um, but you know, you do it, you know, it has to be done. Um, and that happens to be the territory that, that I travel in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my day typically, um, is fairly flexible in terms of where I am and what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, my office does have strict hours, uh, that were open. Uh, very rarely do we get somebody who walks in because we are headquarters for the entire Western Hemisphere and we're providing the machines. Yeah. Um, right. But one or two days a week, we we do block off time to entertain visitors that are scheduled. And so when that happens, it's a kind of all hands on deck. Everybody comes in with their TWP branded shirts <laughs> and and uh, and and outerwear, and right. uh, and we entertain customers a couple of days a week. Um, but that's that's what it's like. Right. And on weekends, I'll be playing tennis or swimming. Right. So, Paul, I want to circle back to something that you talked about earlier that uh, is, is could be seen by some people as controversial. Um, you mentioned that your manufacturer is Chinese and that there was this, also this German outfit and you found that the felt that the, the, the Chinese manufacturer produced a better product and for less money. And, you know, when I hear that, um, I think, well, of course they do it for less because they pay their people slave wages. That's absolutely not true. Okay. Um, now, that's not true for my industry. Okay. I'm not talking about garments and I'm not talking right. about some, some industries where that may very well be a true statement. Right. For me, it's about, and I've tried to manufacture our products here in the United States, and I would be willing to pay somewhat more money for it if mm-hmm. that was possible. But the precision engineering that they're able to do in this particular industry produces a product that I have not been able Got to duplicate it. here, Good. although I've tried. Yeah. I have the relationship, as I mentioned, with the manufacturer that's that's ideal. I mean, mm-hmm. they've given me full um, engineering blueprints for the machine. Wow. Um, I have access to the source um, code for the software that runs the machines. Fantastic. Um, there's no limitations for me other than the fact that they are the best source for it. Well, that's great um, to hear that. There's, we use the same materials. The same, I mean, the same metal um, materials or an aluminum mm-hmm. materials that the German product uses. Um, we uh, we have features again that they don't have. Um, again, why they're 
product is $70,000? Don't ask me to explain it. I yeah. can't. No. Um, it's, it has nothing to do with labor costs, I assure you. Right. They're not paying their people any more or less than I am. I'm going to be entertaining um, our Chinese partners here. Uh, I've already entertained them once here in the United States. They're coming here again in July. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, um, They're going to be staying in my home. Um, there's no... Um, there's, there's no cultural clash here That's at all, nor impact. And while I am not going to deny the fact that that may exist, mm-hmm. but you also can't deny the fact that it exists here in our country with immigrant labor mm-hmm. and other labor mm-hmm. um, as well. So I don't really take that as a valid comment mm-hmm. um, for an entire culture. Right, um, right. Well, that's and the so, reason I um, ask, right? So Yeah, it's, it, has an, it has been any... And, and let me tell you, I've taken an Austrian baby bottle and marketed that here. I've taken, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics of Russia, which yeah. I, I certainly do not approve of. Right. Um, but at the same time, for 12 years, back in the year 2000 to 2000 and 2008 to 2000 and, and uh, 2002 to 2010, um, I represented the Russian technology company. Mm-hmm. We still trade Christmas cards with one another every, every December and birthday cards. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people, wonderful relationship. Yeah. Um, nothing to do with the politics of their government. Well, right. Um, and and but, you can't, you know, you can't paint an entire culture because of their idiot politicians. Right. So I just, you know, I just felt like I wanted to ask you the question and have, you know, give you the opportunity to talk about it, which you've done. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't mind the question at all, but I just want to, but yeah. like you just very correctly said, Carol, there's no mixing of cultures and politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, there are situations that, you know, you, you can look at and frown upon and boycott. Yeah. Um, and people have valid reasons to do that and should. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's, you know, let's, let's, you know, don't, don't, don't throw stones that people live in glass houses of which we yep. are as well. Yep. yep. Uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we finish up? No, I'm good. We, you've, you've asked great questions. I think you've allowed me the opportunity to mm-hmm. talk about a lot of, uh, on my journey and about the wall printer itself. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Happy to connect with anybody in your audience that wants to. Um, if they want to reach out to me, LinkedIn is a good way to do that. Okay. I'm happy to talk with anybody. It doesn't have to be about the wall printer. If they want to talk about their own journey, mm-hmm. um, I always do that. I'm a mentor at the local university's Center right. for Innovation and Entrepreneurship here in Wilmington, yep. where we talk to people who have ideas, have pain right. points in their business journey. Always happy to do that. If they right. do want to learn about the wall printer, by all means, go to our website, thewallprinter.com, fill out a form, take a look at a video. If it's something that you're interested in, Happy to talk to you about that, too. Sounds good. Well, Paul Barron, founder and CEO of The Wall Printer. Thanks for joining me. This is a fun conversation. I appreciate learning learning more about your really interesting business that I knew nothing about before you and I met. Thank you, Carol. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, 
or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.